Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everyone, I'm your host Jim McTeer and I welcome you along to this Monday edition of La Liga Lowdown. There's plenty of La Liga chat to come in part two as we answer listener questions. There's even a few interesting Segunda-related questions, but first off, we focus on the Spanish national team. It was a hard-fought 2-1 win in Bucharest for Spain, especially as Diego Juventi was sent off just before the final 10 minutes. Before that, Sergio Ramos had put Spain into a 1-0 half-time lead from the penalty spot, his 21st goal for his country, which puts him into the top 10 of Spain's all-time top scorers list. Spain then went 2-0 up in the second half when Paco Alcacer was able to knock in a Jordi Alba cross, but this move was really made by Danny Ceballos and his excellent defence-splitting pass. Florian Andoni, who's played in Spain for like Cordoba and Deportivo La Coruña, came on for Romania and pulled one back, but 10-man Spain held on with Kepa making a couple of big stops in the final moments. On Sunday night, Robert Moreno sent out a much changed Spain team against the Faroe Islands. There were nine changes to the lineup that started in Romania with only Sergio Ramos and Rodrigo Moreno keeping their spots. And Rodrigo made the most of his minutes by scoring the first two Spain goals of the night, one in the first half for a not-so-impressive 1-0 half-time lead and then a deflected shot into the top corner at the beginning of the second half to give Spain a bit of a cushion. They really struggled to break down the Faroe Islands' um, let's say, revolutionary 6-4-0 formation. But, substitute on the night, Paco Alcafer did manage to get two late goals to make it a more typical Spain versus Faroe Island scoreline of 4-0. Now, let's bring in La Liga Lodens, Paco Pollitt, 
Roman de Arcaire and Alex Fitzpatrick to discuss the whole week for the Spanish national team. First off, what did you all think of Robert Moreno's squad? Were any players left out or any in the squad who you think shouldn't have been? Roman, let's go with you first. Well, I personally liked the squad. I, th- I thought it was a good selection of players. But maybe I didn't miss out uh, Cazorla because he's been playing really well with Villarreal. He, he could have been there again. would have been nice. And maybe Coque because he's usually leading Atletico Madrid. Well, most of the time I'm happy with the fact that three Valencia players were included. And overall, I'm pretty happy with the team because I believe that both uh, Luis Enrique back in the day and now Robert Moreno are basing the um, call-ups on, on merit and not on the history of every single player in the national team. Uh, yeah, experience is obviously a, a very important fact, but uh, it feels like they uh, value all of the work that every single player does uh, very highly, and they regard that very highly, and that is the the absolute uh, crucial detail in, in calling up every single player uh, in the last few months. Yeah, I think that's a good point you make about Mary. In the Romania game, there were all the players in the Spain team came from 10 different clubs, which is amazing. It shows Indeed. you that they're not just picking players from Barcelona and Real Madrid, they're picking players from the likes of Valencia, Real Sociedad, all around the league. Alex, what about you? Any squad surprises? The surprise for me was more of an inclusion into the starting eleven and, and that of Diego Lorente. I think a basic principle for me at, at national level is always been that you need to be in form, you need to be starting regularly for your club side. Now, the season's only three games old, but he hasn't been able to hit the ground running due to a suspension that carried over from last season. Uh, and then he was left out of the side's second game, which was away at Mallorca. He returned to the side for the third, which ended in defeat in the derby against Athletic Club. Inigo Martinez started in central defence last time out in the 3-0 victory uh, over Sweden in the summer. He didn't make the squad at all this time around. He did also miss the early part of the season due to injury. But like Llorente, he he returned for the first 90 minutes of the season in that local derby between Athletic Club and Real Sociedad. But I think finding a regular partner for Sergio Ramos seems to be something that Robert Moreno needs to settle on. In the summer games at the end of the 18-19 season, uh, Sergio Ramos was, was also paired with Mario Hermoso. So I think that's, that's a key area that he's going to need to look at. This was Spain's first ever away win in Romania after six failed attempts to win there. It's a really difficult place to go, I guess. Uh, strong atmosphere in the stadium, you could see that. How impressive was this victory Paco over Romania? Well, I believe it was very impressive. I think Spain had the game under control for around one hour, one full hour, 60 minutes. But scoring the second goal was actually counterproductive for the team. They they relaxed a bit and then uh, Romania began growing in the game and believing they could actually pick up a point and the atmosphere surely helped. Because the fans, you could listen to to it in, in, in the TV broadcast, they were fiery, they were pushing their team very hard. So... Yeah, overall, it was very impressive. Well, these were the first matches for Robert Moreno since he was named as permanent Spain coach. Roman, what did you think of Moreno's team selection and tactics? And obviously, he's been in charge as well uh, on a caretaker basis before this international break. Is he qualified for the job? Well, for some reason here in Spain, there's an ongoing debate on whether he should be the manager. Because, of course, apparently, he lacks the experience as a first manager in important clubs and, and national teams. But to be honest, I mean, he's been working with Luis Enrique re- really closely in Roma, in Celta, in Barca, in Spain. And now he, I think it's a good opportunity for him and he's proving he, 
he has the knowledge to take this uh, job on. I mean, against Romania, I think he chose the perfect kind of squad because it was a good mix of talent and experience, which is what I think the Spain actually needs. And then also, I think it was great that he went for players like Ceballos, like Fabian Ruiz, who are who are like the ongoing future of this of this um, national team, and they. And they have the quality that the team needs. And also, it's great that Paco Alcácer was a starter because for me, he should have had more opportunities in the past because he's scoring goals and, and he could be a really important striker for Spain. One decision that really caught the headlines was the decision to start Kepa ahead of David De Gea against Romania. I didn't actually realise this, but this was the fourth match in a row that Kepa had played um, instead of De Gea. Who should be the starter in goals at Euro 2020? Can we can we know that now, or or can we already say it should be Kepa or De Gea one way or the other? Alex, what do you think? Well, David De Gea, he's a goalkeeper of undoubtable quality, but he is one who seems to have lost his way slightly in comparison to the very very high standards that he sets himself. And I think that's the context that this this discussion needs to be in: is that there's been a drop off in his form, but from a very very high starting point. There have been a number of high-profile errors recently from De Gea in the Premier League, the Champions League and internationally for Spain. Robert Moreno has stressed after the Romania game that he hasn't got a first-choice goalkeeper. Ultimately, I think a coach needs to be able to rely on the consistency of performance in a goalkeeper. And with De Gea's recent errors, putting him very much in the spotlight, for now at least, I think Kepa will be the first choice. Another Premier League player who played against Romania and really stood out was Danny Ceballos. Uh, but should he really be a Premier League player? Real Madrid, what must they have been thinking, Paco, as they watched him just turn it on against Romania? Well, they might be thinking that they could use some of that talent in, in their squad this, this year. Uh, and actually, I would reframe the sentence and say, what was Zidane thinking when he shoot him off the squad last summer? Because Real Madrid executives actually do know just how ridiculously good Ceballos is. But the coach really didn't believe in him. So I think we should congratulate Arsenal fans for the great football they're going to witness this season from Ceballos. He's brilliant. Um, he showed it once again against uh, Romania, for example, and he's definitely one of the best under-23 players in a whole continent. But yeah, I think that it wasn't the brightest move to let Ceballos go last summer and I believe Real Madrid are going to repent uh, doing so because the season is going to be very long for them and in some points they will definitely need a player with that sort of talent. Spain thrashed the Favourite Islands 4-0 on Sunday night. It took them a while to get the goals but they were in complete control throughout. 70% possession for Spain, 30 shots compared to the two shots of the Faroe Islands. When a team like Spain takes on a team at the level of the Faroe Islands, a team that has to resort to just packing the box and trying to keep the scoreline down, it doesn't teach as much, does it, Alex? To be honest, I don't think that these type of games are particularly useful for anybody. This game would have been pre prestigious for the Faroe Islands side, something the players will always remember, but it really does nothing for them to develop them as footballers, and it becomes a damage limitation exercise, sitting 10 men behind the ball. And I think in order to really help nations such as the Pharaohs develop, their players need to be playing competitive fixtures against nations of a similar level where they can play a more expansive brand of football and have a real chance of a result. The fixture also does nothing really for the Spanish players. Even if nations choose to use it as an opportunity to blood some new players, 
the standard at which they're playing and the pattern of the game is so alien to what they would normally play at that really there is very little benefit to be taken for anyone. Mm-hmm. And Spain very much on course to qualify now for Euro 2020. What do they have to do, everyone, to make it a successful tournament? Paco, let's go with you first. Um, I'll go straight to the point. Two reliable centre-backs and a reliable informed striker. Uh, I think Spain have the tools in the midfield and when generating chances, but having a world-class number nine who slots in absolutely every chance he has, that would make the difference. Maybe Paco Alcázar is that man, who knows? Maybe Rodrigo improves, maybe Morata steps up his, his game, maybe Diego Costa. Uh, but in short, Spain need a new David Villa. I have to agree with uh, Paco on the striker thing. I think we need someone who can score consistently because we've been trying so many strikers along the years and we still haven't found our David Villa, as he mentioned. And I think maybe Paco Alcácer could be this guy because he's he's scoring a lot with his um, club in in Germany. And I think when he scores, uh, sorry, when he plays with um, Spain, he usually tends to score. He has a good uh, average. So, I mean... If we can find that striker to lead us and score goals, Spain will be a very important team. And also, I think we have to be feared by the by the other teams. Because right now, um, Spain are, are an important team, are a big team, but they're not maybe as big as maybe France or maybe the, the Dutch or, or Germans, etc. So, um, Robert Moreno actually said in an interview that, that before the Euro 2020, he wanted to find the toughest friendlies games he can find, the, the toughest rivals, because I think he wants to prove to the world that Spain are going to fight for that Euro Cup and they're going to try and win it no matter what. Personally, I, I think the stability of selection and stability of the environment around the squad is an absolute must. The World Cup campaign was doomed before it even got going last time out with the issues around the departure of the manager to Real Madrid and the installation of Fernando Hierro at the very, very last minute. The results saw lack of in that competition were there for all to see and for a nation such as Spain to go out when they did was simply not good enough. What's followed since then has has been the tragic and and obviously totally unavoidable events around Luis Enrique and his his daughter's illness which led to the appointment of Moreno. Moreno said last week in the build-up to the Romania game that he'd step aside if Enrique wished to return. And and whilst that's a noble statement, I think the best thing for Spanish football at this time is stability. There's been far too much change in recent years. Enrique's time will come again once he's had the opportunity to fully grieve and and he feels that he's ready to return to top-level management. Well, that's all for a Spain discussion. Paco, Roman and Alex will all be back to tackle our listener questions in part two. That's after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back, everyone, to part two of this Monday's La Liga Lowdown podcast. In part one, we discuss the Spanish national team and their victories over Romania and the Faroe Islands. Here in part two, we have Paco, Roman and Alex back and ready to answer some of the questions that you guys sent us in on Twitter. So let's go. Let's start with this one from at Captain Koke. How competitive will La Liga be this season? I want everyone to answer this one. Alex, let's start with you. Yeah, I think it's going to be incredibly competitive this season. It's a really good sign for the league that Atleti have started so strongly, three wins out of three, and the big two have also dropped points. I feel that uh, Real Madrid will continue to struggle for consistency in comparison to Barcelona and Atleti, but they'll still finish comfortably, in my opinion, third. The rest of the league, we've seen some strange results already this season. Leganes, Ibar, Espanyol, Hetafe started unexpectedly poorly, really, whilst last season's goal-shy Granada have found the net seven times and are joint top scorers with Barcelona. All in all, I think that it's going to bring an unpredictable and competitive season. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be pretty similar to last year, to be honest. Uh... It was really interesting, especially mid-table, the fight for Europe, that was fantastic. And even there was a little bit of a fight for the title for a while until Barca just kind of um, pulled away. So I think hopefully it'll be pretty similar to last year, but maybe a bit tighter at the top with Atletico, who started off really well. And I think Madrid, sooner or later, will start to get their rhythm back. So it could be an interesting season. And uh, in my case, I expect it to be very competitive, at least if we remove... Barca and Atletico from the equation. I think uh, Real will suffer a drawback in results and they are going to start fighting at the same level as Sevilla, Valencia or, or even other surprise guests to this party. And in my case, I've been lucky enough to see a few games uh, live already. Um, Villarreal, Granada, Real Sociedad. We've seen in the first three games that no team will go down without putting up a fight. Uh, everybody can beat everybody and and those are great news for for the fans next question is from at george c heeks and this one asks where do we expect celta vigo to finish 
this season. Uh, new additions seem to have improved him from being a one-man show. Roman, they uh, signed a couple of Barcelona players. Um, it's also starting to look like the Celta Vigo academy sides from years ago. They brought all these guys back together. What do you think of Celta Vigo? Well, yeah, exactly. I think it's not a one-man show anymore. In the first few games, we, we've kind of seen this where it's not only about Aspas again and again. So I think uh, Celta could easily finish on the top half of the standings, maybe even fight for Europe if everything pans out well. And I mean, bringing in Denis Suarez, Rafinha, Santimina, these are extremely good players. A bit unlucky in their other clubs, but I think they have the quality and they know the club um, really well. So if, if they manage, if Escriba manages to like... Uh, make everything work properly, they could be a very interesting team to watch this season. Another one here from George. Given the pre-season optimism, should we be worried about Real Betis's relatively poor start? Well, Betis had a strong first half of the season last year and then they steadily dropped away. So they went from fifth and dropped away down into 10th position. And Betis fans will be hoping that this form isn't a continuation of that. I think, though, it's far too early to be worried for, for any fan of any La Liga club. That said, with the amount of money that the club spent in the summer, there'll be high expectations of what they can achieve this year. And they'll certainly be expecting to battle in the top half of the league rather than the bottom half. Any side who signs and loses a number of players in the summer window, as Betis did, though, they're going to take some time to gel. Their opening game against Real Valladolid Clearly a disappointing result to lose that one. They followed it up with defeat at the Camp Nou. It's no disgrace at all. I think um, most sides will, will lose there as they do almost every season. Um, but Betis seems to have got back on track with the victory over Leganes in the final game before the break. The club's got three winnable home games against Hatafe, Levante and Ibar to come between now and the start of October. And I think... It will give a much clearer guide of how Betis' season is going to pan out after those games. Mm -hmm. And the next question comes from at IWJ86. And this one asks, thoughts on the embarrassing mess at Malaga? Paco, what's going on at Malaga? Uh, you just have to see how disappointed Victor Sánchez del Amo, which, by the way, is a friend from La Liga Loda, and we obviously uh, wish him the best. Uh, he was very disappointed this weekend in press conference with the whole situation. And I'm quoting here. I feel disappointed and angry. And later he said, this is not the project me and my staff were promised. The one which we based on the terms of our contract extension last summer. Uh, my thoughts. Malaga fans don't deserve an owner as petty and as irresponsible as Sheikh Altani. The whole Shinji Okazaki disgraceful drama sums up the situation pretty well. You managed to bag a world-class star to play in Segunda División. You mess up the planning and financial fair play conditions. And finally, you're unable to include him in the official squad in the last day of the summer transfer market. At the same time, you make him a free agent and you set up the red carpet for Huesca to sign him under excellent conditions. So that's a hat trick for Malaga. It's impossible to do worse. Uh, when Altani came to Spain in 2011 and he suddenly began investing and signing players left and right, such as Baptista, Joaquin, Isco from Valencia for 6 million euros, only a few suspected it would eventually end up in a civil war right now inside the club with the fans angry at the owner and with, by the way, Caminero and Joaquin Joffre, which are the middlemen in this drama, 
nowhere to be found in the last few days. So Victor Sánchez de Lamo is on his own, fans are on their own, and I absolutely support the Malaga fan base and hope they can get rid at some point of poor management like the current one they have to endure. Another one for you, Paco. Another one um, off the pitch drama. This is from at Tom Welton 27. Can you tell us a bit more about the court case regarding the potential match fixing in 2011 during the Levante Real Zaragoza game? How likely is it for us to see genuine consequences against the players? So this was the game where Real Zaragoza won at Levante in the final round to survive and this match fixing allegations that come out of this have finally gone to court now eight years later. Paco, what's going on with this one? I'm uh, ecstatic that I'm getting all of the easy questions today, <laughs> okay? Uh, because this is very tricky to explain. But let's go for it. Last Monday, by the way, I was uh, live on 2011 watching that game. And, I knew uh, I knew you would be. I knew you would be. That's why you get all these questions because you're 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 there <laughs> on the ground, Paco. You're and, always there. You know, I have to admit that something seemed off in that game. I didn't know back in the day wh- where to put my finger because actually the the goals scored by Zaragoza were were very good goals. I remember one of them being a free kick that was amazing. Uh, but yeah, last Monday the hearing began in Valencia regarding that game and. Many bizarre statements have been made in the last few days. Some players, such as Xavi Torres, explaining that the fact that they didn't spend money in the weeks after that game in 2011 was due to them living at their parents' house. That was his <laughs> his point. As he was living at home with his parents, he didn't have to spend money. Uh, so that was his explanation. Or former Zaragoza coach the Mexican, Javier Aguirre, admitting that he just signed papers and contracts without really knowing what was in them. He said he was signing papeles en blanco, with no text in them. He just signed them because he was 100% trusting Zaragoza. And later he admitted he made a mistake. Overall, the feeling is that something went on in that game, but we might never actually know to what extent. And about consequences that Tom asked about, well, the timing of the matter is very tricky. We're talking about a game played in 2011, which was reported in 2013, and it has taken six years for the trial to happen. And then whatever the outcome, remember, players, coaches, whoever is convicted, they can appeal again, and the process will take another two, three more years. So most players are going to be retired by them. However, some of them who are already working as scouts, as coaches, as sports directors, for example, Jorge Lopez is working uh, in Valencia's Youth Academy, or maybe the coach himself, Javier Aguirre, they could be facing a ban of up to six years. And that might be a big punishment, depending on each individual case. But remember that the, the trial isn't over yet. The the case goes on there, and finally, our last question, not for you, Paco. This time, you can you can you can have a break. At finally. Hassan, at Hassan Ashas asks thoughts on UD Almeria. Uh, they've just gone out and basically signed a whole new squad uh, with a new owner. He asks, could we expect another Malaga there? Are their new signings good or just a waste of money on random players? Also, why do they want to change their logo? Roman, 
what's going on at Almeria? Well, I mean, when there's foreign investment, I mean, there's always risk. So anything can happen uh, in the long term. So I think at the moment it looks good. I mean, the results are there. They've won uh, most of the games. They even beat Huesca, which was one of the favorites possibly to go back up to Primera. And I mean, they're trying to build an exciting project there, even though it's based on money. But I mean, they've brought in players like Ante Koric, Arvin Apia, who apparently United really wanted, but he came to Almeria, Juan Muñoz, and there's a long etc. of players. So I mean, at first it looks good. But this has to like uh, develop into a, um, a very stable project to work out. So we'll have to see in time if it really was worth um, international or foreign money coming in. And about the, the shirt and the logo, when I saw the design, it felt like it just came out of AliExpress or something like that. I mean, the logo is, is pretty terrible and, and the design on the shirt, it's just, I don't know, I have no, no comments. Why do they want to do this? I honestly have no idea. Probably they just want to renew everything and make it more modern, but uh, with that design, there's no modern thing about it. It looks, it looks really, really bad. So. Um, about, I, I wanted to add about the, the logo situation that it actually resembles uh, eSports uh, design. You know, <laughs> it has that kind of, of vibe. And that I actually know the manager who was in charge before um, the new owner came around, Oscar Fernandez. Uh, he used to be a coach in Atleti's uh, Youth Academy. And he had left Atlético de Madrid, which is a huge club nowadays, to coach in Segunda División uh, Almeria. Uh, he made a gamble on that. The squad was with him. Um, he had done a pretty great job this summer. And suddenly, in a day of July, uh, getting the notification that uh, the new owner wants to meet you and getting the sack right there. Uh, with the additional uh, trouble of not being able to uh, coach this season, uh, that is weird, and I'm, I'm pretty much unfair on on Oscar Fernandez. So uh, I also wanted to add that. Yeah, just 50 days he was in charge there. Didn't manage to coach any official games. Uh, he was, you know, really harshly dealt with there. We'll see how Almeria do. We'll see how Malaga do. Lots of second division chat here today thanks for all the questions you guys have sent in thanks for listening as well we'll be back next monday with our usual la liga roundup with all the round four action this has been our special international break podcast we hope you've enjoyed it and my thanks go out to paco roman and alex for their contributions we'll speak to you next time